Hello everyone, welcome back. It's Megan Snuckle, one of your chief medical residents. Today we're going to discuss sexually transmitted infections. This topic can be pretty large, so we're going to focus on a few things, including prevention, how to diagnose, and some treatments of some common sexually transmitted infections. First, let's understand the risk factors involved. So it's important to get a complete, full sexual history to identify these risk factors and help give guidance to our patients who are at a higher risk. Some common risk factors include inconsistent condom use, more than one sexual partner, history of STI, being a commercial sex worker, history of HIV, and the presence of certain genetic markers. Some common high-risk groups include young adults, less than 24, persons who inject IV drugs, and history of incarceration. For those of you who struggle with obtaining a complete comprehensive sexual history, the CDC has an excellent schema for you. It's called the five P's, and you can visit there to get more information, but essentially it includes asking for partners, practices, past history, protection, and prevention of pregnancy. So let's go on. How do we know who to screen? Well, this can be a really complicated answer. I'm gonna try my best to summarize it for you but it's best for you to take a look yourself so that you can really understand who you screen and when. So first of all, these recommendations are for an asymptomatic, HIV-negative, non-pregnant, sexually active patient. For men who have sex with men, it's pretty easy. You need to annually screen these patients for chlamydia, gonorrhea, HIV, and syphilis. For screening of heterosexual women, if they are under the age of 24, they should get annual screenings of chlamydia and gonorrhea. If they're greater than 24, you should screen them if they're at increased risk. For heterosexual men, chlamydia and gonorrhea should be screened for patients who are at increased risk. For both heterosexual men and women, HIV should be screened once for all adults, and syphilis should only be screened if there's an increased risk. Some other common STIs including trichomonas, HSV, and bacterial vaginosis, there's no recommended routine screening for these patients. In addition to screening, we need to provide counseling services for our patients, specifically around pre-exposure vaccination, number of sexual partners, information on barrier contraception, and prophylaxis. Something we should always make sure we're investigating is our pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV using tenofovir and emtricitabine. It should be offered to our HIV uninfected patients who are at high risk for HIV. So let's dive in to each of some common STIs and what we need to do for them. Some common vaginitis culprits include trichomonas vaginalis, vulvovaginal candidiasis, and bacterial vaginosis. For trichomonas vaginalis, this is actually the most common sexually transmitted vaginal infection. To test for this, microscopy is the cheapest and most convenient way. However, the sensitivity of this is much lower because it's user-dependent. Nucleic acid amplification is the gold standard and is highly sensitive. For bacterial vaginosis, diagnosis is microscopy and looking for clue cells. For vulvovaginal candidiasis, this is actually not an STI, but has similar presentations as to the other two mentioned so it's important to know. Diagnosis is made by KOH prep and looking for yeast. Now let's talk about chlamydia and gonorrhea. Chlamydia and gonorrhea are the most common STI-related cervical infections. 
Testing is done by nucleic acid amplification. For women, the preferred specimen is a vaginal swab. Urine specimen for women, the sensitivity can be decreased about 10%. You can even have your patient self-swab as the results are very similar. For men, urinary nucleic acid amplification is the gold standard. The treatment for chlamydia is one gram of azithromycin as a single oral dose or doxycycline 100 milligrams twice daily for seven days. Treatment of gonorrhea has changed recently, so listen up. So the current recommendation is actually a single agent therapy with ceftrioxone, one shot intramuscularly of 500 milligrams. This differs from what was previously recommended with dual therapy. Don't forget to remind your patients to abstain from sex for seven days after their single dose therapy or completion of the seven day regimen. And it's important for your, the sexual partners to be treated. For chlamydia, gonorrhea, and trichomonas, if they were identified or even suspected, all sex partners from the past 60 days should undergo evaluation testing and presumptive treatment. Don't forget, if patients have a diagnosis of chlamydia, gonorrhea, or trichomonas, they should be retested in three months as reinfection rates are very high. Let's talk about syphilis now. So quickly, as a reminder, we have two different stages for syphilis. We have early and late stages, both of which can have asymptomatic and symptomatic disease. For early syphilis, we can have primary, secondary, or early latent syphilis. Primary syphilis is characterized by a painless penile ulcer, and secondary syphilis has more of a systemic reaction and can include a diffuse rash. Both primary and secondary syphilis usually occur within weeks to months after the initial infection. Early latent syphilis is an asymptomatic infection that was acquired within the previous 12 months. The next stage is late syphilis, and late syphilis includes both tertiary and late latent syphilis. Try saying that 10 times. So late latent syphilis is an asymptomatic infection that was acquired more than 12 months prior to detection. Late syphilis can involve a variety of tissues and common manifestations includes aortitis, gummatous disease, and CNS disease. So how do we test for syphilis? We can do treponemal tests or non-treponemal tests. Treponemal tests evaluate for specific antibodies against treponemum pallidum. The most common test is FTA.ABS, or fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption. Non-treponemal tests are also antibody tests, but they are not specific and measure antibodies against the cell membrane component, such as cholesterol, anticardiolipin. These are available in the United States and include RPR, VDRL, and trust tests. Treponemal tests can stay positive for life, so regardless of treatment, sometimes they can not be helpful when confirming the diagnosis of syphilis. Using one single test is insufficient to diagnose syphilis. So it's important to have a positive treponemal screening test as well as a confirmatory non-treponemal test. How do we treat these patients? IM penicillin G is the treatment of choice for all stages of syphilis. Early syphilis is treated with penicillin G 2.4 million units IM once, while late syphilis is treated with penicillin G 2.4 million units IM once weekly for three weeks. Now let's talk about HSV. HSV has two types 
HSV1, and HSV2, and they're also called genital herpes. Previously, we really only thought of HSV2 linking with genital infections, but this no longer is the case. Classically, the genital HSV begins with a group of vesicular ulcerated lesions. General symptoms can also occur, including fever, malaise, and headache. In the primary infection, you can also have some regional bilateral tender lymphadenopathy. Typically, after three or four days, the lesions will crust over and spontaneously heal. The CDC recommends that the clinical diagnosis be confirmed by lab testing to determine which type of HSV infection the patient has. This is because the prognosis and likelihood of recurrence changes depending on the type. PCR and viral culture are the preferred tests. Culture is a lower sensitivity, especially as the lesions begin to heal. Unfortunately, as you probably know, there's no cure for herpes. However, antiviral medications can control symptoms during both the first and recurrent clinical episodes. Acyclovir, valacyclovir, and famcyclovir are all three antiviral medications that are effective. That's all I have for you today. Thanks for joining me. 